and welcome to episode 99 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we investigate films previously described by other amateur detectives as masterpieces. Uh, I am Nick, the innocent victim of this podcast, and I am joined as ever by Roger, the master sleuth. Master something anyway, maybe the murderer, who knows. <laughs> um, and we are entering a territory uh, frankly unfamiliar to me. I am not a huge fan of murder mystery, I'm going to be honest. But we are discussing Ryan Johnson's um, duology, <laughs> soon-to-be trilogy, I believe, um, hmm. the Knives Out films, which uh, basically comprise Knives Out and Glass Onion. Um, yeah, and I, I will readily concede that I'm a big fan of mystery slash whodunit slash murder stories. Um, but, and I think this is going to make a difference, mostly okay. as books rather than as films. And mm-hmm. there are different ways of doing it, I think, to make it work better. In a film, you can say X said Y, and yes. you can you can have X talking in an unconvincing way or whatever. In a film, you have to show it almost always as a flashback. Because it, narratively, it's just not interesting to have someone talking. Yeah. You usually have them talking over a flashback. Okay, and, I'm going to rely s- on you and so, for all your insights for whodunits. Well, the, the, way, the way I see this, because you're showing stuff in flashback, um, some of those flashbacks must be incorrect, obviously, as people lie about what they did or whatever, and, and that can too easily drift towards Rashomon. I mean, Rashomon is a great film. Yes, but, I do love Rashomon. But it's been made already. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, that okay, so you can... Whereas in a film you can make... Oh, sorry, whereas in a book you can make it clear someone is not telling the truth. Even in a film, if you're aware that an untrustworthy character is telling you a story, they're going to visually show you something that looks true just by the nature of the fact you can see it happening. Yeah. And that's that's a, a potentially a problem for filmic who does the, the other thing is that there is no equivalent of a narrative voice that you can say, yes, this is definitely true. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, flashbacks are unreliable. Maybe the present tense is unreliable too. And I will confess that I am less of a fan of unreliable narration than many people would, I suspect, particularly in the context of a detective story. Yes. Where you need to, you need to be able to distinguish between this is definitely true and that I was told by person X and may not be true. And therefore. I, I think X. it, I, for, for the playing the game perspective, I think it breaks things a bit. So. Uh, I'll just run down quickly my sort of history with whodunits. Is yeah. that I was, um, as a pre-teen, uh, briefly obsessed with Agatha Christie. Um, mm-hmm. I read like the ABC murders and then a number of her other murders. Really enjoyed them. Um, started to feel they were becoming a bit generic, and also particularly, I didn't really move beyond that. And I, I'm aware this is a very blinkered and old-fashioned view, but. Then I started to think she treats murder as a kind of almost a misdemeanor or a crossword puzzle. 
and my... Uh, I can't remember who the critic was who suggested that in the classic mystery story the, the murder is really an offence against manners more seriously than it is anything else. <laughs> exactly, whereas to my mind, and certainly growing up and watching Homicide and uh, The Wire, uh, I, I started to feel murder is a messy, unplanned business for the most part, and it's not a great puzzle. For the most part, it's a tragedy. Um, and it's not funny or fun. It's just awful. <laughs> so that I guess that's my perspective. And that put me off pretty much any whodunits mm. going on. Uh, that's me coming into Knives Out, which everyone said was, this is a revitalization of the form. It's fantastic. Um, you should watch it. Right. So I will admit I'm not particularly experienced in the film version of the form. Okay. Think, but things that strike, that work well here, specifically in terms of the conventions of the form. And we, we are told, you know, Marta has this inability to lie. She will throw up if she lies. Yes. And that is, on one level, this is clearly a narrative cheat. You know, here is one person whose stuff, whose word you can absolutely trust. Yes. But, it's then it then becomes diegetically relevant too. Oh, spoilers, by the way, huge spoilers. Uh, spoilers. So we're going to start with Knives Out. Um, I actually watched these in reverse order because Netflix unhelpfully took Knives Out off Netflix about halfway through my <laughs> run through. So I watched Glass Onion first, um, th- but I had seen both of them before, and uh, it may spoil it to say I was keen to watch both of them again. Um, so that may give you a clue as to how I feel. Yeah. About so um, there, there is a point at which Marta. Well, A, um, she is blackmailed by somebody essentially saying, right, you've just had, you've just had a huge meal now. I want you to tell me what really yeah, happened. That was a nice. Because thing, I know, yeah. I know you did something. And oh, then later when she does in fact lie and then manage not to throw up for a few crucial seconds. Yes. So. It does, yes. It, it, I, it, I, it becomes, it becomes a part of the story, not just here is the narrative, narrative convention that you can trust that what this person says. And I think that's, that's great. That's a good microcosm, uh, in a way. I'm going to explain that a bit better. It's because, yes, when she says it, it feels like, whoa, that's, <laughs> that's a bit of a cheat, isn't it? That's a bit of an, also, well. I'm not saying this can't be a real world thing, but I've certainly never heard of it. It's, I would, you know, I'd believe it, except explain well, but it does feel like, a, oh, okay, she's that character. But if you trust the film, it repays that trust, I feel. And I feel that is both true of Knives Out and Glass Onion, that if you, if you notice something that you don't quite believe, and you're not, you're like, mm, uh, but you go with it, then the film will repay you for doing that. And that yeah. is a, that's a good trope in a film. That uh, not all films do that. <laughs> Sometimes you have to be like, "All right, I'll I'll give it you, and we'll see what happens." And by the, the end of it, you're, you're like, Rrr. "The the <laughs> other thing that I think does a good job of cueing you into the way it's going to work is during the the initial descriptions of what happened. We we've got, I think it's three separate shots of the 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 old guy who is about to die blowing yeah. out his candles surrounded by his loving family and in each of those shots it's different people the narrator <laughs> yes. the, the people who are recounting this say oh i was the one who was had my arm around his shoulders and we were all buddy buddy i do think uh, so, it does so that, a good that, job that's that's of... that's a lovely way of saying yes okay you cannot trust well that so did you i does does knives out solve that problem for you because i felt it was it quite does good, i, mean, I I, I think with those, those two things, it, it's specifically saying, yes, we, we accept that there are problems in the form and this is how we're going to do it. Also, 
and we'll get even more into spoilers when we talk about the resolution of it. They, there are some standard forms in murder mysteries. Okay. Um, simply because, you know, it's, it's not an infinite field. Um, such as, you know, the most obvious person who everybody said couldn't have done it because it was the most obvious person turns out to have done it after all. For right, example. Yes. Um, and the, the thing here is one that I at least have not met before. Okay, explain what, so this is Knives Out specifically. Yeah, which, the, which is basically... Spoilers ahead, presumably. Um, person A thinks um, that they committed manslaughter, in effect. Okay. In this case, Marta, a is, Marta is manipulated to believe that she accidentally killed... Yeah. Uh, her boss, um, Christopher and, Plummer, whose name I've actually forgotten. And, and Ransom, yes. the actual murderer, gets her to collude in the destruction of the evidence that she thinks will incriminate her further, but in fact would prove her innocence. Yeah. And that is really... that is not a trick I've seen in a murder mystery before. Fair enough. Yeah. Well done. Now this, I, I, my memory is poor enough that even it was only... Less than a year ago that I watched Knives Out the first time, I'd already forgotten what happened. Um, but uh, that's a good place to be, because it actually made me feel cleverer this time, because I picked <laughs> up on things that I completely missed the first time, which obviously I was just remembering, but it felt like I was picking up on them. And when they were destroying the evidence, you start to think, hang on, what if that evidence proved the opposite to what they were saying? What would that hmm. mean, and how would that affect this case? Yeah, I mean that 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 sort of thing. I think is the murder mystery game. You you are shown a nice easy channel that your thoughts could run down, and you think about all the other possibilities. And it does. I mean, I do like Knives Out. Pretty quickly teaches you the rules of the game. We start with the interviewing of the family, and as you say, we learn pretty much all that they're mostly for the most part awful people hmm. um uh but it also shows you yeah they're all unreliable narrators they've all got something to hide you've got to try and piece this together um you know and, and about... i will admit this is a, one of the standard mystery tropes I, I think there are broadly two sorts of mystery the all of them have obvious motives because because yeah. this was a guy they all hated and nobody has an obvious motive because this is a guy everybody claims to love Yes. Well, this is the everyone hated, or yeah. everyone has got obvious motives. But then you're led to believe that the person who didn't have the obvious motive did it, and then later on it's revealed. It's hard to go into all the, the twists and turns of the plot. Um, hmm. but it, I don't it, think that's what we're here for anyway. It, the twists and turns are all satisfying. I mean, about midway through, we start a flashback that kind of tells you a huge ton of things about what actually happened that night and then kind of ends up at present day. I'm talking about the flashback where we get Marta's story about what happened that night. And it, mm. it, it tells you a ton of information and you feel like, well, this is telling everything that happened, but it's, it's not. And that's really clever as well. I, um, I mean, the joy to me of this film, and it has converted me back to this genre, or at least Ryan Johnson, uh, uh, well, uh, a good 40% of my joy in this film is Daniel Craig's accent. <laughs> yes, th say. this is everything that was promised. <laughs> yeah, I did tell you it was good. Now, uh, if I lived in Louisiana, I may, or Kentucky, or wherever, I may feel differently, but uh, I don't. A vague smear it's... across several hundred miles of the American South. <laughs> um, uh, it's glorious to me, and it's just wonderful to see Daniel Craig, who I always thought was a good actor, playing someone who I don't viscerally hate which is James Bond. 
Bond. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I've not watched his James Bond, and I don't particularly plan to. But he's, um, he's a, a less unpleasant. James I, Bond I understand that he really hated the role by the time he finally got to stop doing it. Okay. Yeah, well, in, in the sense of yes, all right, I, I will do it because you are paying me all the money. But uh... I see a lot of reviews of films where you know people say, "Oh, it's clear the actors were all having fun," and I'm like, "Well, they probably weren't. They were just being paid." Here, uh, this is a film where I feel like, do you know what they do? Actually, look, they they're all enjoying themselves, and it, where it gets it right somehow is the characters are just the right side of caricature. Mm. They're not really kind of realistic characters in a lot of ways but they're just just the right side of caricature that it works you, you know what the, and that works really well for film in that you know you know what they're about and you know what they like um mm. but it gives you just enough information to make you think that you know them also you we were just talking about the the matrix for our last episodes and neo and trinity and morpheus who don't I don't really have enough character to care about, ultimately, mm. for me. It works for the first film. Um, but let's not re-prosecute our, our previous case, Your Honour. Um, but here, all the characters are interesting enough uh, that you really do care about them, particularly Marta. Now, Marta mm. is a, a revisiting uh, actor to a Ribbon of Memes, because we last saw... Um, is it Anna de Armes? Yeah, um, uh, so Joy in Blade Runner 2049. And yeah, yeah n- now she has more of a role to play than Robotart with a heart of gold. Yes. She's and also she... de-glammed a bit. And yes. she's mu- her acting here is much better than her acting there. Simple yeah, as that. Yeah, she, she's great. She, I mean, she's got the job of basically making you care about her. Because um, she's a decent human being in amongst these vipers mm. basically and she does a great job of that she does make you care but that's she does make you care about her um and you care what happens to her and you're upset to realize that she probably is the murderer you're joyful when she isn't and you hate uh, randoms we have chris evans here you know the hollywood beefcake who looks very happy not to be playing captain america at the <laughs> minute. um as, as yeah I, kind of... I i suspect it's great for him to be able to do some honest slime yeah, he's he's really good as like um uh this kind of scumbag who that actually might be have a heart of gold. Oh no, turns out he doesn't have a heart of gold. I that scene in the diner is a really good one where mm. uh, because you're thinking, Oh, he's actually on her side and then when you realise he's basically bribed her or bribed manipulated her, um, you realise actually he is a slime ball after all. I the the really only thing well that went really went wrong for me is that that that's somewhat of something of a pivotal scene i mean end of act two we should be gathering pace into the into the final moments right yes and it seemed instead to slow things down you know we're away from the house the, the pressure is off i mean yes there's the emotional tension but the pace is down which just I, seemed a very just a very slight misstep for me i would agree with you the bit the car chase and the bombing of the forensic lab that bit outside the house you're at the point where actually we want this to come to a resolution and it mm. probably could have just happened off screen without the car chase, probably, or bits of it. Obviously, there's pivotal moment. Um, yeah, I think that's a fair criticism. I'm not going to... So, I mean, I, a couple of actors I'd like to call out. I mean, it's always good to see Jamie Lee Curtis. I knew you were going to say Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> yeah, she's great. It's a um, shame we don't see quite more of her, but... She yeah, I'm... She- what was the? Um, I saw her at approximately her present age in the Scream Queens TV series, mm. which was a few years ago, playing off a Halloween uh, 
origins, yeah. I guess. Yeah, though though also there there is a shower scene. Um the original shower scene in Psycho, of course, being okay, played yes. by her mother. Which which she insisted on them reshooting until they got it detail perfect. <laughs> oh, um but yeah there there is this particular style that uh, some American women in the sort of 50s and 60s get into. Joan Byers looks quite similar these days, and it, it's a yeah. style that works really well. You know, I'm, I, I am done taking shit from approximately everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good, yeah. Um, Christopher Plummer, uh, as, I as the old man I have been a fan of, of Christopher Plummer since uh, The Man Who Would Be King, um, yeah. and I'm always happy to see him in any film ever. Uh, um, this, was this his last film? I don't know. I'm afraid, I think it may have been his last acting role or potentially his last released film, um, which is a shame, but I, he does a great job here as ever. Um, I think maybe one film got released afterwards, but he filmed this one uh, last. Hmm. So I think it is his last acting role, which is a shame, but always lovely to see him. Yeah. That's, um, I haven't seen anything else by uh, Ryan Johnson. Apparently he came up with this one um, after he'd made, what was it? Well, so I have seen Looper, uh, which I liked, I didn't love, but it is a film that if you if you go in accepting the bonkers premise and the dodgy time travel, it works. <laughs> um, the Last Jedi he made, so one of the new new. Yeah, that novels. that that's uh, he he already had this percolating in his in his head. When, when they came along and said, hey, we ought to make The Last Jedi. Yeah. And, and he did oh. the unforgivable thing of not making an utterly indistinguishable <laughs> machine Star Wars film, as far as I can gather. Don't worry, Roger, they utterly corrected it for the last film, which is why <laughs> the last film is, is um, yeah, much worse. But there we go. It, it, the Last Jedi I like, but a lot of people didn't. Hmm. But uh, I didn't like it as much, frankly, as I liked Knives Out. Yeah, and the, there I, are I also, one or two things... Out yeah. Don Johnson and Tony mm. Collette, um, both very. Mm. I mean, everyone here is is really good. At um, uh, I, for me though, this is um, Daniel Craig and Anna de Armas are just the the heart of this film. And I do like that it it Daniel Craig steps back and although he's clearly the the kind of the you know the the hero detective. And I don't know if this is typical of who done it. So it probably is in a lot of the modern ones now. Actually, Anna de Armas steps forward really to become the chief protagonist, hmm. yeah, which I really like. It, I think it varies a lot with uh, whether it's a series or not. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that would make sense. But um, this wasn't a series. Th- at the this, time. this was made, I think, with the intention of yeah, let, let's do it and see what happens, rather than this is definitely part one of a series. Yeah. Okay. Benoit Blanc is a fantastic name for a detective. <laughs> as well, uh, yeah, um, I, I don't. Do I have any problems with knives? Now, I, I think you correctly identified a, a lull in the second act or at the end of the second act. Um, but it basically works for me. Um, how did you, from a, a, a connoisseur of mystery? So I haven't seen a lot of mysteries. So for me, I was completely at sea, but I did follow the plot. Uh, by at sea, I meant I had no idea who actually did it. Um, I had some, but I wasn't really trying. I just wanted to enjoy it and just sitting mm. back and enjoying it. I genuinely did. How well, did you feel from a mystery connoisseur? That, that's one of the things I look for in detective stories. You, you can obviously go all the way towards 
here is a game. It's essentially a story puzzle yeah. for you to solve. And you can go all the other, you can go the, the other extreme of, well, there, there is a mystery happening somewhere in the background, but most of we care about the emotional lives of the characters. Yeah. I, I'm lo- always looking for a compromise between those two. And I think this Don does it very well. Okay. So the mystery element works for you as well. It, the, it's technically satisfying and emotionally satisfying. Good. Okay. I liked it very much too. Well, should we move on? Do you have more to say about Knives Out? No, or should we uh, move on to Glass Onion? Yeah, so I think we've probably got a slightly higher paid cast here. At least I was more ready to recognise them. Uh, slightly, yeah, yeah. I, again, uh, it's, uh, including uh, Edward Norton we saw in Birdman, and he's about as offensive here as he was there. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, that's the true, the yeah. obligatory uh, Blood Red Red cast member of this time is Dave Bautista. Uh, yes. Uh, for a while, I rather unkindly thought of him as a who you get when you can't afford the rock. And, and I, I wonder that, if a lot of people thought that. That's too. pretty much the thing I say. Yeah, but I I think he does... Um, he brings something different, at least. Um, <laughs> or... He, I, I, I don't know if The Rock would have been quite right for this part, for instance. He's too no, the, the charming. Rock, the Rock always plays nice. Yeah, exactly. Whereas here, Dave Bautista is at least uh, happy to show... He, he has a kind of peculiar vulnerability to him mm. um, here. Uh, so Glass Onion, again, we don't need to channel over the plot, but it's a, we have a thinly veiled... Um, uh, he's not quite Elon Musk, but he, I, th- he's I a, think a, he's generic tech billionaire. Generic tech uh, tech billionaire. I think that's a fair way of putting it. I mean, bear, um, bear in mind they started on the script for this as soon as Knives Out started making money. So this, uh, this, is, well, this is well before the Twitter takeover and so on. But that was that was the thing by the time this came out. It was interesting to see a film set during COVID that actually acknowledged COVID as a thing. I, I mean, if, they dispensed briefly. with it. Quick, well, they they kind of by necessity, but it was nice to see it uh, touched on. Um, there are a number of things I like. Hugh Grant has a fantastic cameo <laughs> that I was completely not expecting. Um, finding out Benoit Blanc is presumably gay um, is a really nicely handled uh, moment um, that they don't make a big thing of, but it's mm. good. Uh, it is Benoit Blanc here. It feels like a different character, or at least at first. Um, there, there was a suggestion that he would have a completely different accent, again with no explanation, and I, I would have kind of enjoyed that. <laughs> I kind of enjoyed Well, it's not far. His accent is, I, I feel, noticeably different, or at least at first. Um, but he's a much more kind of credulous, awed character. He doesn't feel like he's at work and he's not on the top of his game. It feels like he's on vacation. Um, but then, much as with um, Knives Out, I kind of trusted it, I went with it, and Glass Onion paid off again. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, we have this this really good. Uh, again, ca- is it? Oh, would you agree? Again, the cast seems to be having a lot of fun here. Just yeah, I'm I'm always a little hesitant about saying that because I've seen some like yeah. it hot, and I definitely got the feeling of having fun <laughs> for some like it hot. But by by all accounts, it was a hell shoot. Any time Marilyn was within half a mile of the set, I, so. I, I think that is exactly the reason why I'm always a bit cautious. But it, I suppose if it feels like it, maybe it doesn't matter <laughs> whether they were or not. Um, but um, uh, but we have um, a, again. We have a, a a female protagonist along alongside Benoit Blanc. This time it's um, Janelle Monae. Um, Who just steals every scene without even yeah, saying anything. She's absolutely fantastic as both um, Helen. Is it Helen um, and 
uh, and Andy um, in both in both kind of personas noticeably different mm. and i love the fact that you know it's little things like you see a hand tightening on the rail which you assume is in anger when you when you first see it um uh, and then in the flashback sequence we realize no she's seasick because she's not actually mm. good at this sort of thing i really respected this film because Again, it's probably six months since I watched this film, so I, again, already forgotten pretty much what happened in it. <laughs> but I had remembered there was something about the drink. And I, so I, without really paying attention, I noticed this time that Edward Norton, Edward Norton's character just hands Dave Bautista his drink. And that is right there in the open. You see that. That mm-hmm. actually happens in the, um, but you don't notice it. And it says, it explicitly says later, well, he said he put it on the table and that replaced your mental image of what you all saw. And it actually works. It mm-hmm. actually works on me. I, 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 really good. Um, yeah. Um, I was, Big fan of the puzzle box. I mean, it, it was perhaps used more in the trailers than it, than in the, um, film itself, but it, it's visually fun as an introduction to who these people are. Yes. And at the same time, like, like, um, Martha's inability to lie in the previous yes. film, it comes back from a different angle. And yeah, the, the, this is how Helen opened the puzzle box. <laughs> yeah, it's nicely done. Tonally, it's interesting. Tonally, I would say Glass Onion is more of an outright comedy. Is that fair to say? Or yeah. Saw? Um, so for, there's a lot of shots of like uh, Edward Norton's tech bro, Miles Bronn. He's like saying something which is kind of flatly contradicted. Like there's a moment when he's talking to him and then, uh, you know, I, I've sent everyone home. We're just going to handle it. You know, we're going to be very primitive. And then there's a robot carrying all their luggage <laughs> up to their room mm-hmm. in the background. It, it feels much more uh, outright comedy in a way. Uh, Benoit Blanc is almost a comedic character, at least for moments. Yeah. Um, the the only thing that felt to me like miscasting, or it may have been miss makeup or whatever, we, we've got uh, the governor of Connecticut now running for the U.S. Senate, and Catherine Hahn just does not look like a politician to me. She doesn't act like a politician. Well, she's often spoken of as like the soccer mum turned politician, and, and I certainly agree. The so- so- soccer mum, sorry, and um, yeah, I I think that's fair. I think that's fair. She doesn't. We're used to much more polished politician. I suppose you could say we're seeing a politician with a guard down, but well, yeah, but she shouldn't be. So yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, that's fair enough. Fair I don't. I don't spend a lot of time watching American politicians, so. Maybe it's all changed. It, it just felt a bit. I odd think to me. it is a fair criticism. Um, um, fr- from a technical perspective, um, I, I will not name other examples, but this is one of the mystery patterns of person A gets killed apparently by mistake for person B, but person B was the actual murderer deliberately killing person A and trying to make it look as if they were going they were the intended victim. Right. That yeah. that is a that is a thing that has been done in in a bunch of stories. So so once you think of it, it's quite easy to recognise. Well, that feels that kind of fits with my sense that this is a less uh, it's less clever, it's less complex. But it, again, the film is is smart enough to actually call that out. <laughs> you know, Benoit mm. Blanc is offended by this kind of murder. It just calls it dumb. And it actually, you know, if you start to think, well, this isn't as clever as Knives Out, well, the film has Benoit Blanc saying, this is, just, I'm offended mm. by the level. Of, I, I really enjoyed the touchstone where, um, 
uh, Miles Braun has spent all this money <laughs> sorting out this murder mystery for the whole weekend, which Benoit Blanc instantly sold, had already sold. Before the murder has even happened, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a really nice touch. Um, yeah, there, there was one bit of weird blocking for me. Um, we've got to the point where Helen has got the napkin and is waving it around saying, look, this is the proof this is going to ruin you. And the impression I got was that Miles was supposed to be halfway across the room at that point, and yet he's suddenly okay. up there with the lighter. And he suddenly, yeah. And I, I yeah, don't know. Yeah. No, I think that's fair too. I, that uh, jives with my memory. Again, I, the problem is, see, once you kind of trust a director in a film, then I, I do let a lot of things go. So it's good to have these things brought out. <laughs> it it has, I, I it has to happen for, for the way things happen, but yeah, I don't know. Didn't didn't quite work for me. For me, I ended up feeling that the first one was better in a murder mystery technical sense, and yes. th- and this one was more fun. I you couldn't agree more. I absolutely agree. Uh, I watched them in reverse order this time, um, though I watched them in the right order the first time. Not that it really matters. Uh, and I completely agree that that moment to moment, I think Glass Onion pulls you through and is more fun minute to minute, and Knives Out is, yeah, absolutely, technically the better murder mystery. It it Um, may help that the characters in Glass Onion aren't trying to pretend to be normal people. No. And they get to be more, because they're billionaire uh, assholes, or their, their entourage, they get to be even closer to caricature, and again, still don't quite Still don't quite cross over. No well, one's... maybe Birdie. Uh, well, that's true. Yeah, I, I think here they 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 are. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Some of them do cross over, but it, it's kind of forgivable because of their. I particularly enjoyed Edward Norton, and I particularly enjoyed mm. the complaints about what an idiot he is um, mm. <laughs> by Benoit Blanc. And I think that's partly just Schadenfreude because we all slightly feel um, under the thrall of these incredibly powerful billionaires. But um, also, also, there's a pattern I've been seeing a lot lately of some somebody becomes really expert in one thing, which is genuinely complicated and hard. Yes. And then makes that mental jump to thinking, well, I must be, I must be knowledgeable about everything now. Unrelatedly, neither of us are on Twitter anymore. Um, <laughs> I never was, but yeah. Oh, oh yeah, that's a fair point. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, so yeah, for me, yeah. circling back to, I mean, it's not, it's not so much a murder mystery. As you say, it's, it's, it's less technically complex, but more fun. Uh, I, so I, I went to both of these with, well, no, that's not true. I went to Knives Out with reluctance, um, and just really enjoyed it and then really, really enjoyed Glass Onion. Mm. Um, uh, I would certainly watch more Benoit Blanc mysteries. I am, much, much more interested in Daniel Craig as this. <laughs> I, he may have a very offensive southern accent to some. For me, I just adore his character. Um, yeah, and if we were doing this episode in five years' time, we would probably be doing all three of them. Yeah, I suspect so. Yeah, I, for me, it's what converted me. It's almost, in fact, as you said to me off air, uh, made us interested in the Agatha Christie adaptations uh, by Kenneth Branagh, or at least one of them was. Um, yeah, because they've similarly got um, lots of very experienced actors doing their thing. I'm, I will admit I'm not the world's biggest fan of Christie. Um, she, okay. she... Well, she she lived and kept writing for a long time, mm. and that helps in terms of staying in the public eye. I do think she... A went off quite severely in her later years, but also B never really got out of her 
early mindset. So, yeah, whenever she deals with uh, non-English people, it it gets kind of embarrassing. I think I'd rather see past it. I mean, these films, these two films... On the other hand, the the person I I will claim is the greatest detective story writer, Dorothy Sayers, um, who stopped writing basically at the start of the Second World War, uh, at least in terms of the mystery stories. Um, It's desperately hard to adapt to film. Okay, all right. Well, I, I, I would argue I'm, I'm not sure it's ever been successfully done. Certainly, nothing I can think of is, is, is a good adaptation. So I'm going. I'm going to have a try and read it because I part of me is tempted by these new uh, Christie adaptations, but partly, yeah, that Christie both attracted me to the genre and then put me off it. It's also hard to live in Devon without uh, coming across. Oh, Agatha Christie once took a dump in this toilet. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not been flushed since. Yeah, exactly. Um, so um, I haven't got... Um, uh, except for Plymouth, which is full of um, the same sort of thing for Francis Drake. Anyway... <laughs> uh, yeah, well, well, these films have won me over. I, I certainly would trust Ryan Johnson and Daniel Craig again for another one. I'd, I'd be well up. Yeah, and I, I would give uh, Masterpiece to both of them, so... I will I, I will follow your lead, really. I don't know the genre as well, but all I can say is I greatly enjoyed both of them. Yeah, I'd be very happy to, to be... It sounds to me like they've reinvigorated a pretty stale genre... Um, well, I mean, I, I can't speak to the um, film murder mystery, as I've said, but I think a lot of people writing the, the sort of that there are subtypes, obviously subtypes of mystery stories. The police procedural is one of them. Um, that I think this is this is more what might be called the cozy mystery. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Every, yeah. Most people are, are, fa- are fairly um, civilized about things. Um, very it's not often, like someone you, was beaten to death in a domestic argument or something. Yeah, very, very often you get an isolated group of people, and, and it, it couldn't possibly have been some random passerby because there's no, there's no way they could have been one, and so on. It's a list of suspects, and um, uh, and it's all about the motives and opportunity. Yeah, as we discover in Knives Out, and there there are people doing that now, but I th- I think unless, some some of them are just deliberately writing. Oh, this story is set in the 1920s. Fair enough. Right, um, yeah. But the people who are writing a modern set, I do think, have a hard job of making that work, and they have various interesting ways of trying to make it work. Some of them more successful than others. I, I think there's an acceptance that this isn't really a story that works natively the way it did a hundred years ago, and right, fr- yeah. frankly, one would be surprised if it did. Well, lovely stuff. Thank you. Nice to end. Um, it was kind of our forward odyssey because I, I think at this point we've reached the present day. Yeah. Uh, since since 2023 is not yet over. Yes. So let's let's hear about 2022 in film, shall we? So um, the plus on you does not show off on on either of the lists. Uh, at the Academy Awards, a big winner is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh, we did strongly consider that. Um, and oh, I'm glad well, we went for Glass Onion and Knives Out, though. But maybe we'll go back to it at some future point. But that, that's six yes. of the, six um, of the major, of the eight major awards and seven total, which is yeah, everybody loves this. Um, I loved it too, for the record. But um, uh, we'll come back to it. I I have not yet seen it, but uh, it's certainly what I plan to watch. It's maybe slightly too long. Would be my only complaint. Yeah, but you know, so, so, some actors you don't want to. 
Anyway. <laughs> True. Uh, see, uh, uh, other major Academy Award winners, uh, The Whale, The Aronofsky. Um, I have just watched The Whale. I have opinions about it. I will spare them. I have read a quick summary and felt this did not seem to me like at all the sort of thing I want to see. Uh, I will, the only, well, maybe the only good thing I've got to say about the whale is Brendan Fraser is great and we should see him more. Um, and it's criminal that we haven't seen him as much recently. But the whale itself, hmm. Anyway. Uh, so there's, oh, the, the other, other winner of a major is uh, Women Talking. Basically, a, a, a bunch of um, women in a Mennonite colony discover that they have been getting tranquilized and raped. Oh my goodness. Well, that and, sounds interesting. That, now what are they going to do? Which, yeah. Uh, I might have to be in the right frame of mind for that one, but yeah. Okay. Uh, also, Storosip at Dormund. <laughs> oh, well, there we go. I'm sold. Uh, also direct, written and directed by Sarah Polly, whom I have a bit of time for. Uh, the the other big winner uh, is All Quiet on the Western Front, the, the remake. That I haven't watched. Got described... Yeah, it, it's interesting. It, it's had some positive reviews, but it's also, um, particularly in Germany, um, comments that, yeah, this is basically war porn dressed up with an anti-war story. Mm. Yeah, I do not need to see people getting blown to bits in the mud. No, for, I've already seen hours. a couple of adaptations of it. Um, and I suppose we've talked about it. We already know how shitty it was on the Western Front. I probably don't need to see that again. Maybe. Maybe someday. As to the box office, I think we may actually have a full slate of sequels. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so, number 10, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Oh, I went and watched that with the kids, and it is a pleasant way to pass the time if you're getting dragged to the cinema with the kids. I quite enjoyed it. It's not a masterpiece. Spoilers. Yeah, so, uh, let's see. Uh, number nine, The Battle of Lake Changjin 2. Uh, we, we talked about this, um, a, f- a few episodes back. It, it's the, um, Korean War film. Okay. Uh, the, but this is one... that a Korean language film? No, no, it's, it's a Chinese film. It's a Chinese, yeah. Uh, okay. Commissioned by the Central Propaganda Department of the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that last sentence will tend to put me off any film. Uh, it, it, is, it is basically a, a retelling of the Battle of Chosin Reservoir, somewhat modified. It's fascinating how we're getting all the uh, the Chinese box office as much. Uh, dominating our last few... Yeah, uh, we're falling out again because by 2022 in, in the West, everybody's agreed that COVID is over and everybody who's uh, still dying of it is just a wimp, so that's all right. <laughs> uh, 2023 was when I got COVID. But anyway. Uh, so number eight, Thor, Love and Thunder. Oh, that is a bad film. I'm sorry. I absolutely love um, Taika Waititi, but that is not a good film. I, I will admit I have not seen any of these films, and I feel no inclination to do so. Uh, number seven, The Batman, which that's the Robert uh, Pattinson one, I think. That's the Robert Pattinson one, which I've lost. I fell out of interest some Batmans ago. I, I then, do feel Batman's. that the story has been told, and there are lots of other stories that haven't, and I would like to see some of them. Maybe. Apparently this is a good sort of noir film with Batman, but just, yeah, as you say. Uh, so number six, uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. 
haven't seen that one either, I'm afraid. I've kind of lost interest in Marvel. Number five, Minions, The Rise of Gru, which presumably yeah, is the last yes. Minions prequel at that point, but who knows? You know. <laughs> uh, number four, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I've seen that, and it was uh, some time that I spent watching a film. <laughs> that sure was 140,000 frames. <laughs> That's right. Uh, number three, Jurassic World Dominion. All right. <laughs> <laughs> number two, Top Gun Maverick, which actually people I, I've heard positive things about. Supposed to be really flipping good. I would like to watch that. I, I, I have this personal problem watching Tom Cruise as a hero. I, I find it hard uh, to relate, as, as we said when we were talking about Edge of Tomorrow. I, for well, people who don't I, have this problem, it's probably a lot better. I've never seen the original Top Gun. It's one of those films that I feel like I have, but I've never seen it. So maybe if we ever did do a 2023 episode, it might be worth doing both of them. Yeah, possibly. I, I've heard it described as, as the, the best gay romance film that the director didn't <laughs> realise was a gay romance film. I've heard that too, yes. And at number one, and I'm sure you'll love this one, Avatar The Way of Water. Yeah. I've not seen that, and I really hope I never have to. <laughs> but there are three, I, there's still three more sequels in the pipe. Woo! That is such a shame. You know, James Cameron, we loved a lot of his films, but oh man. But then he made Titanic and realised, hang on a minute, <laughs> this made an awful lot of money. I don't think Way of, Water, Way of Water made an awful lot of money, but maybe not an awful lot enough to justify... Anyway... I don't care. <laughs> yeah, so, I think that about summarises it. I mean, we've had we've had poor box offices before. This is the first one I think where they've all been sequels, and where I have felt essentially little to no incentive to watch yeah, them. That is that is that is right back to our kind of nineties box offices that I was a bit depressed about. Well, that's good to finish our <laughs> move forward on um, for our so, next episode. Yeah, well, we'll be looking back at. 99 previous episodes and what, 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 how, how things changed and what, what have we enjoyed, not enjoyed, mm. overdone and so on. And uh, after that, we go on to themes. Themes. Earlier films. Uh, uh, I, well, I was saying what I was about to, about to look at themes. But instead, we will say, um, good night for our forward moving, uh, episodes, but we will return in a slightly different, uh, form. Also, there was zero rhino in those pills.